There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Filmmaker Aviva Kempner screens her new documentary, A Pocket Full of Miracles, A Tale of Two Siblings, today, tomorrow, and Thursday at the Avalon Theater in Washington, D.C. She joined me to discuss the making of the film, as well as her family's experiences with the Holocaust and why it's a powerful statement against rising fascism and anti-Semitism today. Hey, Aviva Kempner, hey, thanks so much for joining us on WTOP again. I'm happy to be talking to someone on my favorite radio station that I always turn to when I'm in the car. Why is WTOP your favorite? (laughs) Well, it's a little combination. I can get a little sports. I can get weather. I can get the top of the news, especially given by CBS radio people who are among my closest friends. You know, just you get everything right away and right to the point. So that's what I like to have when I'm getting news. Absolutely. Well, you get right to the point whenever we interview you about your films as well. So uh, we've spoken um, a couple times about imagining the Indian, um, about the Native American mascots. You've joined us several times with Kevin Blackstone and the like. Um, But of course, you're also, you know, your reputation precedes you before that. You know, you did the life and times of Hank Greenberg, the documentary. He was the first major Jewish baseball star in the major leagues. And then Spy Behind Home Plate about Jewish catcher um, Mo Berg, okay. uh, some of the, the spying for the U.S. on the Nazis atomic bomb program. So you, you've had, you know, documentaries about your Jewish heritage before, but this one is is almost extra personal. It's called A Pocket Full of Miracles. It's going to be um, at the Avalon Theater now through Thursday with another screening in Rockville, I believe, Thursday night. Um, so yeah, why, why don't you, why don't you tell me, you know, basically the premise, you know, it's what, what is a pocket full of miracles and the subtitle, a tale of two siblings. Okay. So for over 40 years, I've been making films about underknown Jewish heroes, except for imagining the Indian, which is another issue real important to me, the, uh, about Native American mascotting, the fight against it. So two years ago, when I was turning 75, my mother would hate that I'm saying how old I was. But, you know, you can look it up. In any event, I was worried about Holocaust denial and anti-Semitism back then. Of course, now it's a hundredfold. And I thought, you know, let me go back. My mother and my uncle never talked about the war. My mother was in a a slave camp. My uncle survived Auschwitz. Their sister and their parents died. And I said, let me go back. And thanks to Steven Spielberg once again for 30 years starting the Shoah Foundation Project. They did these, it turns out when I finally went to it, these incredible interviews. And I realized that I could tell the story of before the war, during the war, and what's so inspiring after the war, because then my mother became an artist. There's an art show of her work right now at 2025 O Street at the Kuczynski Foundation. You can see it Mondays from 10 to 3.30. 
and also my niece, Piera. And here, my uncle survived Auschwitz, became very wealthy, but it's not just that he became wealthy. He still had this optimism that, you know, and I have to help all religions and all people. And it's that kind of, I think, um, optimism about life that is very engaging and inspiring when you see the film. And for my mother, she doesn't do a typical Holocaust art, but she says each stroke is for the six million. And just to know that when people come out of the film, oh, we want to see your mother's work. And, you know, that that's also very special because when you're the child of an artist who is good, but it's never like made it, you know, it's a heavy responsibility with all these works, some of which we've given is one in the lobby of the DCJCC. There's a couple more of her paintings at Temple Sinai. And my brother and I want to share and give the works. The, the interesting thing is my mother's works were in the museum arts program all over the world. And also they're in the uh, Carter Library. Wow. But yeah. what's most important, and I think why the film is so resonating with audiences, it's about family secrets that you oftentimes don't know about. I mean, John Kelly just wrote about it. There was this footage of film that I had never looked into that my father had. And it was in the family for 70 years. And when I was making this film, let me go see. And there's footage of me, I thought in Berlin, but it turns out it was Munich. I found out I even had the wrong city. So it's a film about family secrets. It's a film about a horrific time in our history, but it's also an inspiring film how with my mother and my uncle, they survived the war, but they made, you know, lies for themselves in America and wanted for my mother to create beauty and my uncle, sure, to make money, but also to bring their religious institutions to them and just to help people. And it's part of that story that I'm so proud to be making. Wow. There's so much you said I want to want to uh, unpack and including, you know, we could even break it down, you know, how the documentary tackles before the war, during the war and after the war, if you want. But even before we get to that, um, I just want to unpack what you said about how you stumbled, a, you stumbled across a can of black and white eight millimeter film that you'd never well, watched. It had been in my dad's archives and sadly my dad died in 76. As a matter of fact, my brother and I ran to Israel where he had moved and he died the morning of the afternoon we got there. Mm. It was the day I was supposed to graduate from law school, but I'd like to publicly all the time thank the D.C. bar for flunking me twice. I'm actually speaking to the D.C. bar this week. Or I'd still be a lawyer and an immigration lawyer. And you know how difficult that is. But seriously, there is something. Someone came out from the screening yesterday and said, I just found the old papers of you know letters of exchange. There was something in the newspaper that, other day of love letters, they're over 200 years old. If there's anything that I've learned in making Pocket Full of Miracles, look into your family's history. For us who are children of the World War II, try to find out more about what your parents did, especially your fathers who were in the military. Because Spielberg talks about how his father never talked about what he did in the army. And that's one reason he made Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. Maybe not all of us will go make films, but you can create books or just archives for the next generation. Because I always say, and we know that war is held, that unless we sort of document what happened and sort of go into the inner feelings of people, we're, we're d destined to repeat history again. 
Wow. Yeah, I, I agree entirely. And yes, and Spielberg's the most famous extreme example of, you know, not everyone can go make Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan after, you know, digging into your history. But um, there are so many stories out there to be told, including this one. And and just to, one one follow up on that. So so you flew out, you said the day he passed away in Israel in 76, and you came, I guess, with his estate, you you had in your possession a can of black and white eight millimeter film but I never watched. And it was in Northwest DC basement in your house? It was just sitting. It was in one house, then I moved to another house, and I knew where it was there. But then this house that I'm in now, gained by an inheritance from this uncle that was so successful that I depicted in the film, mm-hmm. it was sitting there hidden in a box, and only when I had this associate producer, Emily, working with my editor and I, Lucia, I said, go look for it. It took her four days. And all of a sudden we hear this yell from the basement. I found the footage. And there's the cutest pictures of me petting the dog, who, by the way, my dad won in a poker game. And not only that, in a house that I thought had been Berlin, and it turns out it was Munich. I found out this summer in Munich, and I had to go back to the film and take out the line that they remained in Berlin. Oh, okay. And what's also great about the film is it's only my mother and my uncle speaking, and they're great testimonies, and for different reasons. My mother's very colorful, and if you can find humor in World War II, my mother has found it. And my uncle is uh, much more dignified, I don't know if that's the right word, but he he's very philosophical. Right. But I needed some voiceover done, and I drew it from Wolf Blitzer, who's a friend at CNN, and he's also the child of survivors. So he was able to give us you know, good commentary. But I have to say the one fun part was, again, being in this fourth week at the Avalon. It's only at 2 p.m. Thursday night we'll be at the Rockville JCC, and again, I'll be speaking after that. But early in our show, we were were in the same, you know, there's two theaters at the Avalon. So it's early run, Taylor Swift was playing. I have to say, I have one bragging rights. At night, we did better than Taylor At night, we did better than Taylor Swift, only because the young chickadoos were coming during the day. And the first day I saw an older man wandering around, I thought, oh, he's coming to my film upstairs. So I said to him, oh, are you coming to Pocketball? He says, no, I'm here to take my granddaughter. The Taylor Swift. (laughs) We tried to actually do an Instagram with her saying, you know, go to her movie, come to my movie. But I haven't heard from her yet. Oh, that's that's a, that's a great double bill there. But at the Avalon, you know your audience. I mean, that's right. You know, in your neighborhood, and you know it's a nonprofit, and you've supported them over the years. And and that that's an enlightened audience there in Chevy Chase, Northwest DC. Like they, Apocryphal Miracles is down right down up there. That's been great. And I took the, the one sheet that has our film, Joan Baez and Taylor Swift. I mean, my gosh. You my might want to frame that and put yeah. put that on the wall. Somewhere. I already <laughs> got a frame at Michael's this weekend. That is great. You know, That's fantastic. Gonna, you know, it's never going to be happening. I mean, I succeeded to do sports movies, but to be in between those uh, incredible female singers, it's it's just wonderful. That's cool. So you're talking about a lot of the outreach you're doing with, you know, promoting it in theaters. And also we've covered a lot of the, the back 
story of you discovering this can of footage in the making of it, etc. But um, now, I'll, if you don't mind, I'll, let's. I want to pivot into the actual, you know, the content that we see on screen itself. And we, if you want to, I think for at least for my purposes, help to break it up into, you know, what you showed before the war, during the war, and after war, like you mentioned. So, like, what when the film, what in the film do we see before the war? Like, remind us who exactly your parents, you know, their names and your uncle, and you know what they were doing before this horrible Holocaust happened. Okay, before the war, my mother, Hanka Cheshla, had a brother named Dudek Cheshla. And they grew up in a middle-class, educated home, Jewish home, in Susnipich, Poland. My grandfather had a lumber company. And my grandmother was very educated, knew a lot of languages, and it seemed like an idyllic life. And my mother, who never talked about the Holocaust to me, mentions in the film that she was never, she didn't know about past anti-Semitism, especially programs. In any event, everything seemed fine. She tells stories about how her parents were very much in love. They would dance to the, you know, in the backyard to the envy of her girlfriends who were coming over and said, boy, our parents never were like that. <laughs> and everything seemed, and we, the funny thing is we got footage Alicia and I, my editor, would choose footage and stills to sort of match what you heard, which has always been my MO. But when you have only two people talking, it's even more pronounced and also feature footage. So they had an idyllic life. And then Poland was one of the first countries hit by the Germans and the family was separated. What saved my mother is two things, she's blonde and green-eyed and getting false papers through the help of someone she knew from her school, as well as my grandfather preparing, uh, sending a note to where she, go, she should go. Because meanwhile, my grandfather, my uncle, his sister, and my grandmother were deported to Auschwitz. And my grandfather essentially kept my uncle alive during the war. And then there's sort of this wonderful way they found each other, as many people found each other, by passing notes between different places. And they wound up going to Berlin, where my father, who had come earlier to the States from Lithuania, was in Berlin because he spoke so many languages with the military government. So he, he was a U.S. Cover. Army officer. My Yes, my Probably. father was a U.S. Army officer. He knew many languages. He had been in the Pacific, but they sent him to Berlin, where he met my mother writing a story about a brother and sister being reunited. They fell in love. And I believe I am the first um, uh, American Jewish baby born in Berlin. There are other babies born earlier than me, but no one had a, an American parent because my dad was an army. As a matter of fact, Jason, I could be president. It's like Romney because I was born in a u.s hospital but no one's drafted okay. so, so. Techni technically you could you could be oh, so yeah, you're born you're born in berlin in 1946 in an army hospital army hospital okay. we had a very nice you know and we lived there for another year and then we went to munich where my dad had resigned from the army but he worked uh felderfink for a, a displaced persons camp and it was there that we had this wonderful house. And that's where the footage was taken. 
But when I found the footage originally, I thought it was Berlin. It's only when I was in Munich this summer that friends of mine, the, the actor, Senta Berger, looked at the, the whole footage and said, Aviva, that isn't the Berlin Zoo that you have in the footage. It's the Munich Zoo. So I had to change that, that in terms of uh, voiceover in the film. And the reason she, she, it only was when she saw the whole footage that she realized it is that I never used footage of me in what I thought was the Berlin Zoo with an elephant because my nieces are big into animal rights and I know they'd be upset mm. if I had an enclosed um, elephant in the film. So in any event, we have this great footage. And then it's, again, there's stories about my mother, my dad and I moved to Detroit. My uncle went to Hartford. And the whole conceit of the film is them going back and forward, talking what happened to them year after year, month after month. And it just, I believe, really totally works because, you know, of course, we're editing it that way. But so much, they have been so tight since they were liberated, that so much of their stories correspond and how much they all got along. By the way, the the interviews with the Shoah Project are in 1997. So it's only, you know, set, of course, in that time and place. But again, I think the film reads so true today because sadly we have, when I decided to make the film, Already there was Holocaust denial and anti-Semitism, but now it's rung hundredfold. And I think when people walk out of this film, and I'm hoping to have it soon in high schools and junior high schools here in the Washington area, but around the country and take it again back to Germany and Poland to dispel you know, the, the rise of anti-Semitism too. But very much in ecumenical circumstances, it's something my uncle really believed in, supporting all religions, and that we all have to get along. That was what he took away from being a Holocaust survivor. Where my mother was, you can still create beauty amongst the horror. Oh, absolutely. I'm Bradley Trainer, And I'm Don McClain. We have a podcast called Blinded by the Item. A blind item is gossip about a celebrity with their name left out. It's a guessing game, and you can play along. The item might be like, this A-list star carries a Birkin bag worth more than the average person's house to the gym to work out. Pretty sure that's J-Lo. And P.S. The person behind all of this is Chris Jenner, LLC. We drop a new episode every weekday so the fun never ends. Blinded by the Item. Listen wherever you get podcasts and watch us on the Blinded by the Item YouTube channel. And I want to get into sort of the modern parallels and, and the dangers today and everything, uh, you know, before we, before we close the interview for sure. But I just want to double back really fast um, to what you were saying about so the the not only is it the home home video footage that you found um but it's also you're saying the 1997 interviews for the spielberg's you know show a foundation that your your mom and uncle sat down for the show a foundation so you're intercutting i guess the what, separate what interviews and my mother so. would never have done it if my uncle had wow you'd never saw him i you know you brought up don't watch the way i learned about the holocaust was reading Exodus when I was 13 mm. and Dove and Karen, the characters in Exodus. And that's true of a lot of children of survivors. And my mother always said, we wanted to spare you. 
You know what my cousin said recently in Hartford when we did a panel? Mm -hmm. Years ago, he asked my uncle, what's that number on your arm? Because, yeah. you know, everyone who went through Auschwitz was stamped with a number. Yeah. And my uncle said to him, oh, that's my phone number. Whoa. And my cousin thought, God, that's a short number. And then we came back from Hartford for one of the occasions. My brother has three uh, daughters. I'm very close to my nieces. And they said, you know, Dad, Dudunyu, which is what we call my uncle, has a tattoo. He must have been a bad boy when he was young. And that's when my brother finally told them about the war. Now, what I'm hoping with this film is people go out of it and, of course, try to trace back their own parents' stories. I mean, children of survivors are coming in droves to the film, but also children of people who fought, you know, in the army or survived Europe are coming and they just haven't heard the stories. But I think it's true of so many of us. We just don't know our family histories. Yeah. And one thing pocket full of miracles, I think will do is inspire people to do their own research about their family. Wow. I hope to show that never again really is an imperative and that we cannot, we cannot let um, targeting any religion or any people be being allowed in society absolutely and um so when you're so when you're doing this research into stories that your family that your you know your relatives like didn't talk about much and you're watching these show interviews what 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 exactly did you learn about what happened to like i, I guess i want more deep background information about like what actually happened to your mom and yeah. uncle in the holocaust and, and their parents they they both they lost both of your your maternal grandparents were died in the holocaust right yeah well actually also my dad's mother had and i learned that more from going through my dad's papers okay. um i never knew any details of what happened my mother had once said to me that her grandmother died in front of her. Hmm. I now know it was, you know, the Germans coming in and shooting her. Now, when they were put in the ghetto, my great-grandmother okay. was shot there. My grandmother and aunt died upon arriving to Auschwitz. Huh. And the liberation of Auschwitz, my grandfather died. Wow. But my uncle survived. Wow. Very clearly, it's Americans who saved my mother. There's these American soldiers and then brought her uh, to Berlin. And then she started working with UNRWA. And that's when my dad wow. had been in Berlin covering stories of, um, you know, the, the displaced persons camps. Wow, wow. I also knew that my grandfather had been key to keeping my uncle alive. And my uncle talks day by day what the kind of sacrifices from literally giving my uncle food to protecting him in crises. I knew that my uncle had a lot of chutzpah coming to America and making it, but it was all these tools he learned surviving the war. I knew that my mother um, equally had a lot of energy, would say her mind, but I never knew that during the war she had really stood up to horrible German um, commandants of her slave camp. And more importantly, she had secretly tried to save uh, people in the concentration camp near her forced labor camp and literally threw apples to 
keep them alive, you know, physically by because they were near starvation. So the saddest part for me is that I made this film after my uncle and my mother have died. But the proudest point is that at least I'm telling their stories and they're so reflective of other people's stories and their families. Do you know anything about your family, Jason? Yeah, a, a little bit. They were um, German and Irish, but I think they were both had, had moved to this country like around turn of the century, long before World right. War II, like, like Ellis Island, you know, 1900, turn of the century time, right. kind of times. But yeah, and I had a great uncle who was a POW for many years, but I think that was more the Pacific Theater. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you're saying, it's it's it it should inspire all of us to go dig deeper and and you know, or or even interview our great grandparents and grandparents what before they're gone, you know, and because all this history are are those incredible records. I knew my dad as a sergeant and working for the military government in Berlin had crashed the meeting between General Zukov and General Eisenhower. Again, I sent Emily, the associate producer who was doing all this research, down to the archives, and we found a radio report, How because I had the news reports how my father had crashed the meeting. And that's only because there were paper trail, but then we were found the radio trail, and that took some days. You know, it doesn't come right away, but, you know, if you're tenacious enough, you can discover amazing things about your family. The, mo the most interesting thing, and I just got a letter today from an author saying that she's seen many Holocaust films, and this is the, what people repeat again and again, but this is so inspiring because you knew they could make lies for themselves. It's not that, and, and both my uncle and my mother say it. You know, there were years they couldn't talk about it. They can talk about it more now but that they went on that same tenacity to survive. And a lot from my uncle says, you know, it's a line from the movie that I entitled the film A Pocket Full of Miracles. And A Tale of Two Siblings is sort of a play on Dickens, you know, the worst of times, the best of times. Absolutely. Hey, before we run, I think a good way to end it would be, I mean, you've hinted at it a couple of times, but just sort of the modern the modern tie-in, you know, well, not 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 only not only Hamas attacking Israel, but also listen. Yeah. One thing this film proves is war is hell, and how it affects families, especially you you lose members of families, and that um, when one group goes against another with intentions of killing them all and destroying them, that is not how we should be conducting our lives. And that peace is really the goal we should all be talking about. But more but for especially me, I started this film because I wanted to address the starting rise of Holocaust denial and anti-Semitism. Never did I believe that when I was bringing the film out that you'd have such a spike in both areas. So I'm just haunted by the fact that we, it seems like we have to start all over again to tell people that we should be getting along and not hating each other because we're of different religions or different ethnicities or different countries. That peace is really the only answer for us to exist as human beings on earth. I agree entirely. And uh, just sort of, sort of final seconds, you know, not, not only, you know, the, 
what's going on in Israel, Gaza right now, but also here in this country, like you're saying, um, are you troubled by the rise in lang the language in some of the like ever since that unite the right rally, you know, the Jews will not replace us in Charlottesville. And then some of the language now Trump said some of the word vermin the other day, like, are you troubled by the how it's seeping into our politics too? like, to yeah. me, are you worried it could happen here? Like, so for so long, it, it seemed like, oh, that's some faraway place. It could never happen in America. But we're watching slowly building up to a very dangerous situation where I could absolutely see it happening here. You know, it's interesting that people ask me after coming out of the film, do they think that fascism could arise in America? Well, first of all, there's groups that show elements of it. There's even political leaders that are talking like it. But I think maybe partly after you see the film, you'll see that both my mother and my uncle were somewhat cockeyed optimists, and I still have that. But we have to lower the level of engagement. We have to listen to each other. If anything, this film or World War II, World War II teaches us. And for the sake of our children, and for me, it's my grandnephews. And that's, I think, a lot of the reason I show the film as an example of two Holocaust survivors who made lives of themselves partly by painting partly by philanthropy and business, and said, you know, we have to make the world better and we have to treat each other better. And when a Holocaust survivors come out of that and say it, I think that's something worth listening to so it, that it doesn't happen. You know, the expression is never again. And I hope, I know that's something my uncle, my mother wanted to achieve. And I'm just hoping that's also true for our society. Also, the film was made in D.C., and I dedicate all my films to statehood for Washington, D.C. All right. Yeah, and I, I agree. Never again. And and uh, we're always proud of filmmakers that come out of D.C. as well. So thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate oh, it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Our theme music is Scott Buckley's Clarion. Remember to give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.